Hi guys, you're watching Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. I'm so excited to have a very special guest today. He has a new book coming out called Hangry. Um, you probably know about his company during COVID. Everyone ordered from Grubhub. He is the co-founder of Grubhub, Mike Evans. Mike, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. So tell us a little bit about how you decided to start Grubhub. That's um, It's totally blown up because of COVID meal delivery service. And it's just uh, such an interesting um, thing. Yeah. So uh, it was 2002. So back in the dark ages, basically. <laughs> uh, and I wanted a pizza and getting a pizza was hard. So you had to go look on the yellow pages and you'd see a list of restaurants all over your city. Some of them might deliver to you or not, depending how big city you live in. Uh, and I was sort of sick of having the same pizza. And so I made a delivery guide for myself. Like I just, it was literally just for my address. I started putting all the menus in and then, uh, some friends were like, oh, that's pretty useful. Can you add my neighborhood? And then that hobby grew until it was basically the whole city of Chicago. Uh, and then a friend of mine sold a restaurant on the idea to like pay for just like exposure on the website. And I was like, oh, maybe this is like a real business. And so, um, <laughs> And so I had been looking for some way to quit my job, like some way to be like, I need to go work for myself. I hate having a boss. Uh, and so this is like, oh, maybe there's like a real business here uh, and I can pay off my student loans. I overshot, like <laughs> it, it got much bigger than that. Um, and so that's that's kind of how it started. So it really started as a personal, uh, well, that's how most entrepreneurs create businesses, right? They find something that's a problem and they fix it, right? So we all heard about Netflix, like the guy just didn't want to pay late fees to Blockbuster anymore. So this was just like, you're like, I want this. And I, I love pizza. I love pizza. <laughs> like I've had more pizza from more restaurants than probably anybody else in the United States at this point. Because I sold a lot of these restaurants myself early on. And uh, I love it. I never get sick of it. And so, yes, it was like, a re but I also hate the yellow pages. So the combination of the two, I mean, Grubhub was an obvious solution. You know, at the time, it was just hard to find. It was just discovery problem. I mean, that's like, that's so far in the rearview mirror that it's hard to even imagine that. And like, uh, you know, we didn't have smartphones at the time either. So you, you had to use a desktop computer, not even a laptop typically. Uh, but yeah, it was something that I was really annoyed about. Um, but to be clear, I also was looking for some sort of a business to start because I I wanted to like leave my job and, and be financially independent and like start my own thing. And so realizing- It sounds like you had that entrepreneurial spirit to take on- um, taking your passion and taking your hobby and making it into something bigger. Oh, and, uh, do you ask, how did I have that? No, it's just, it sounds like you had that entrepreneurial spirit to take your hobby and make it into a business, make it something bigger than yourself. Yeah. I mean, definitely there's, there's, um, I think a lot of people have, you know, path, things that they're passionate about and it does, it isn't always creating a business, but that was a, like a bug that I had for sure. I wanted to like create something like where I, where I could sell okay. something to customers. I didn't know it was going to be in food delivery. ran in here and just knocked over. A oh, no. <laughs> yeah, mine might come in as well, but she's very chill. So she'll just come lick my face. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I just got um, yeah, headbutted no by a Jack Russell Terrier. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think I think everyone. So for me, there was a spark around around wanting to start a business, but I think a lot of people find themselves in situations where the work that they're doing every day or over the course of a month or over the course of an entire year, it, it's not getting any, getting them any closer to their goals, what they want out of life, what they sort of see as satisfying, satisfying and fulfilling. So for me, I knew that working for somebody else wasn't going to be the case. I wanted to start my own thing where 
where I could I could be sort of determine my path. Um, and so that was a big part of why I, I quit my job to go do it. That's awesome. Well, I'm glad that you took the leap because everyone definitely uses Grubhub. So it's um, really awesome. So let's talk about your book, Hangry. Um, is this documenting your kind of startup journey with Grubhub? Yeah, it's really a story about what it's like to go through it personally, to, to be like, I'm going to try this thing and start it. And then what happens as, you know, I, it starts out as this hobby and then it becomes a real business, then it becomes a big business. And then we get venture capital investing and it ends up growing all the way through an IPO and the, and the company at the IPO is worth two and a half billion dollars with a B, like really big, right? <laughs> this thing that started as my hobby, right? Like, and I really just wanted some pizza. I mean, that's how it started. I mean, it, and, and I had big ambitions, don't get me wrong, but like, um, it's, it's wild. It's wild to go through that like that experience. And so I wanted to share what that was like and some of the lessons I learned, but also just to share the, the craziness of the experience in a way that's like not sugarcoated where there's some ups and there's some downs. And sometimes I'm kind of a jerk and sometimes I'm kind of a good person. And uh, and so I just wanted to share all of that, like in, in all of its warts and all of its beauty and everything. Do you talk a lot about that process? I know you said that you mentioned in the book, but I mean, is it more talking about your experience or actually the process, because I think a lot of people, um, the venture capital world and raising money and fundraising is like this mysterious like shroud. Yeah, I think um, there's a narrative around raising venture capital, which is like you go and you get an MBA from Stanford and then you have like a business plan idea and then you take that PowerPoint presentation and you bring it to a VC and then they like give you a few million dollars or, or you take it to this friends and family money, which like, I don't know who these friends and family are that put millions of dollars in the business, but like- I have $10 million I, just lying around. You yeah, know? I mean, I my mom was, I was a single mom, four kids, like there's no friends and family money to be had in my family, right? And, um, and, and I think that that's atypical. I think that what actually happens more often with, with entrepreneurs and small businesses in the United States and probably worldwide um, is that people have a thing that they're passionate about. And then they realize that they're so strongly passionate about it that they can, create value for other people by sharing that. And certainly getting it to scale to be a national business is a whole other, you know, ball, ball, of, ball of wax, ball of yarn. What, I don't, I don't know what the metaphor is. I just totally got lost there, but like, um, it's yeah. It's a whole and, other and, thing, yeah. Right. And so it, it's sort of exploring the, even this idea of like, I'm making it up as I go along. And I learned how to get engaged venture capital. And I learned how to do, like make a large scaling business. And I, and I surround myself with people who, teach me even as I'm like leading. Um, and it's a really satisfying experience to, to figure it out as we go, because there, it turns out there's not a handbook. A lot, like even the people who say there's a handbook, is that really true? Or did you kind of <laughs> have to figure this out as you went? I think it's really important because a lot of times people think of small business and big business. And so you go through the whole process. You know, I have so many friends who have small businesses. And like I said, that world is, kind of mysterious to them um from taking a small business to ipo but i mean there's that's how things a lot of things are done now like you know canva the um personal design app is like just had a billion dollar valuation and, and the founders became billionaires and they just created that a few years ago and it's just an app about you know with creating like images and stuff like that so i think yeah. you know you don't necessarily have to be like in the heart of silicon valley you're in chicago um to to grow your business and scale your business. And I think, especially now with the internet, things are getting a little bit more decentralized. 
Yeah, I think it's easier to start a business now. Certainly when I started in 2002, I had to do things like get a computer and, <laughs> and like a Comcast connection that had like, that never went down. I had to pay for like, and I hosted it like in my spare bedroom. Like I didn't, I didn't, there was no Amazon web services or Google maps to help with that stuff. I had to just sort of, and so the barriers have come down to creating certainly tech businesses. Yeah. Um, but that also means there's more competition. It, so it, it's sort of always been hard, but it's hard for different reasons to, to create something that really becomes a breakout. I mean, for every Canva, there were probably 99 other people that tried it and didn't quite get the magic right of what the product is. And that's it's a like big that, part that of iteration, it. that magical iteration that makes it like go viral, right? Yeah. And that takes experimentation. And so, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about in the book is um, there are moments when I have to do a really hard thing and I do it, like I buckle down and I like, I have to do it. So I get it done. You know, for example, um, the, the original, the original idea behind the business, we had to have the paper menus from the restaurants. We scan and put them on the website. And so I walked San Francisco gathering all the menus from the entire city. I walked the entire city. Like I picked wow. up 600, 600 menus. So that was a moment where like grit mattered, right? Like doing something hard mattered, but there's other times where like, it's not working. Something's not working. And so, so stop doing it, like do something different, like quit the thing that's not working. And so that like, there's this paradox of sometimes you need to have grit and sometimes you have to abandon things that aren't working. How do you know the difference? And by the way, I don't have the answer to this question. I, it was, I got it right. Sometimes I got it wrong sometimes. Um, but that, but being committed to trying hard while you're working on something, but quitting the things that don't work, it's very freeing. It allows you to experiment. And as you said, iterate, it allows you to try a bunch of rapid ideas and see what sticks. Yeah. It's trying the different iterations of something because it's like stand up, you know? So I'm, I'm a stand up comedian and it's like, sometimes I'll say a joke a thousand times and it's not funny. And I'm like, I know this is funny. And then I'll just change one word. And then it's funny. <laughs> like I feel like I should word. say yes. ands right now. <laughs> That's improv. <laughs> Oh, stand, you're um, right. You said I, yes. And you said stand, <laughs> not improv. My bad. My bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> you're from Chicago. Come on. Second city. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, okay. So you, you just said you came from a single mom. Yep. A family with a single mom growing up with brothers and sisters. Well, right? I think there was another person involved at one point, but yes. That was yes. Okay. Single mom. <laughs> so basically you're not, you know, a Rockefeller is what I'm trying to say, or like, you know, Trump Jr. is, you know, I'm saying you're not, you didn't come from wealth or prestige or anything like that. Um, and now you grew this billion dollar company. Um, did you ever have imposter syndrome or feel like, okay, this is not real? Hell yes. <laughs> like I still have it. I still wonder sometimes there is a moment. I, I remember it was right after we got venture capital and I had like a million dollars in the bank. And the, the company was at that point, we were making like almost half a million dollars a year in revenue. So like, it wasn't, it was a big deal, but it wasn't a, like, it wasn't like I hadn't seen real money coming into the business. But I I had this feeling like, are the grownups gonna like show up and take this away from me? Like, <laughs> is, am I really doing this? Is this really happening? And then even after the IPO, um, you know, I, I've gone on to make a second business and there's still that like, was the first one a fluke? Or like, do I really know what I'm doing here? Like, is the second one really going to work? Um, I don't know the answer to that question yet. It's it's still it still isn't a total success. Like, I'm still that business is still growing. It's and your new well. business is called Fixer. Yeah, the new business is called Fixer. It's a on-demand handy person service. So the idea is you can use your phone as a remote control for your life in so many ways. And so you should be able to do that to just get somebody to show up at your your house or your apartment and do work, like 
hang a picture, patch a wall, paint something, whatever, like skilled trades labor. And so that's the idea behind it. But the but the big sort of the special thing about it is that uh, all of the workers are full-time employees with benefits. So it's not like a marketplace model where you're like, oh, that's awesome. List. Uh, and we train people from scratch because there just aren't enough people uh, to do the work. And so the, the whole goal of the business is to create an entry path into the trades in like a gender inclusive way. That's awesome. That's actually a really good idea because I know I am a homeowner and I'm always, it's always hard for me to find people. It's like finding a good person is crazy. So I did not know about your company. I'll have to download the app. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> also, it means that on Saturday afternoon, I don't have to cook and I don't have to fix stuff because I created two companies to solve those problems. Oh my gosh. So, Are you just really, really lazy? <laughs> it's a, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to then end up with just like one hour. You're like roundabout lazy. You're like, I'm going to create an entire company so I can find pizza and not have to do stuff on Saturdays. <laughs> There's this uh, statement. There's a line that, uh, engineers are really lazy they'll spend they'll spend a thousand hours working on something so they don't have to spend one hour doing it repeatedly. <laughs> so yeah there's some truth like roundabout roundabout lazy yeah so that's amazing so are you done with grubhub you're not associated with anymore or oh yeah i left after so in 2014 um after after the ipo 28 days after the ipo i rode off into the sunset i literally rode my bicycle from virginia to oregon and uh and that's that that's the second half of the book is sort of the what happens after the IPO and like, how do you, you know, reflecting on it and what, what happened and, and really pondering the question of what's next. The answer to the question ends up being fixer. Um, but yeah, I, I left after that 2014. So I haven't been involved with the company. I guess it's like eight years now. Um, Did but, you feel completely empty or like depressed after you left for a period? Like just not going, 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 going for like so many years and then just leaving? No. I did not. Oh, okay. <laughs> I felt, I felt, uh, I felt great. You know, the people, uh, several people, uh, most people I talked to assumed that like I was burnt out or, or I made enough money. So it's time to quit. Really what it was is that, you know, my, my goal with the company, which was to help independent restaurants, like level the playing field against, against big chains, which is, you know, it went from, I wanted a pizza to a much more sort of a bigger idea, right? Like, I want this thing to be really good for the 70,000 restaurants that are signed up with us. I want it to be good for them. I want it to be, make it more likely that they'll stay in business. And as the company went through the transition to going public, um, it, it really became more about quarterly earnings, which is, which is the nature of the beast. Now, I'm not saying that they didn't care about restaurants anymore. I'm just saying, I didn't see that the primary goal I had for the company and the primary goal that public investors would have for the company would be aligned. And so this was one of those moments where instead of having grit and sticking it out, I was like, well, I'm going to go do something else then where where I can be have a little bit more impact in the communities that I work in. And so that's why I left. And so it was very freeing. I mean, it's again, this idea of like, if you're willing to quit the things that aren't working out, and if you really are honest with yourself about putting the hard work in um, when you are working on it, then it's freeing, you can experiment. And so in some ways, Grubhub was a massive experiment, right? But like it, I, I was free to go on and try other things with my life instead of just that one thing. And you weren't scared at all? Like, of course it's scared. <laughs> I mean, it goes back to imposter syndrome. Like, what if I was wrong? What if this is it? What if I can't? What if the next business I create just like crashes and burns? Yeah, like, yes, everybody has imposter syndrome. Right? If you find the person who doesn't have imposter syndrome, please introduce me to them because I don't, I don't understand like how people don't. Did you feel like part of your identity was tied to Grubhub though at that point? Yeah, I mean, I literally had a had a 
like social media handle called Grubhub Mike. And so, uh, yeah, separating that out was, um, that was not without some struggle for sure. Um, and now I have identity tied up in, in Fixer. And, and that's true. I think we all have identity tied to the, the work that we do, especially if we care about it. Yeah. So let's talk about your, your, as you said, the second half of the book is your journey away from Grubhub and your journey into what's next. Um, what was that experience like? Did you go on like a meditation retreat where you're like, mm, God, what's next? Or what, like riding your bike across the country, obviously. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was it. It was, it took 90 days to ride across the U S and, uh, at first I was, um, much like I was cranky early on with the, with the whole, I need a pizza and the yellow pages stink experience. I, I was burnt. I was, I wasn't burnt out, but I was certainly like, there's an impact of working really hard for 12 years on something, hundred hour weeks and 70 hour weeks and whatever it ended up being. And so I just needed to get back to being a little bit more calm, a little bit more present, like not as easily angered. And so there was a part of that, but it wasn't really until like I hit Colorado before I started sort of just being present instead of reflecting back, just like being present and content in the moment. And so I did get that back to some degree. And then, and then once I got there, it was a little bit easier to think about the future without, um, without really being stressed about it, just sort of envisioning what might be possible. Do you feel like your change in attitude has affected the way that you are a founder and a leader in your new company? Um, I'm different than I was, certainly. You know, the, the first employee that I hired, I probably like looked over their shoulder. It was Jack. And I know I looked over his shoulder and talked about, you know, critiqued his work like while he was doing it. It was very micromanaging, right? <laughs> But also I was 26 years old. I didn't know what I was doing, right? And so I learned over the course of over 4,000 people that I employed that actually my job is to make sure that people know what their what their goals are, make sure that I have the right people in the jobs and that they have the resources they need and then get the heck out of the way. Just like walk away. Like micromanaging doesn't help at all. And so I learned that over the course of, um, you know, 10 years, 12 years at Grubhub, whatever it was. And and so bringing that to the new company, plus being a little bit more relaxed when I start, you know, it's way less stressful for everybody involved to not micromanage for me as the manager and for the person doing the work. Like, I don't, I don't want to be that involved. Um, it's not that I don't care, but it's because I trust the people that I work with. And so, yes, I like being a little bit more open-handed with, within the, within the organization, within the work that I'm trying to do now has certainly come as a result of, you know, the maturity of doing that for 20 years. If you could just skip to that, if you could read, if, if reading the book helps you like say, oh, maybe I should just do that from the start. Like, please do. It saves everybody a lot of headache. I think what you said is really important. Um, I'm a big fan of, I actually read um, Warren Buffett's management book and he's always like, just leave people alone. <laughs> so I think leaving people alone, if you have good people that you can trust and, and that are committed and have ownership of, of their role, because I think that's something that's really hard for small business owners and entrepreneurs and people that are starting their own creative endeavors is letting go because it's kind of your baby, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I think one realization that helps is, you know, early on at Grubhub, I did everything, right? I was, I did sales, I did software development, I did marketing, I was the janitor, I did everything. And so then as people started taking over parts of those roles, it, it's, it's probably true to say, Nobody else in the organization is going to be able to do everything like I can do everything. But actually, you're hiring people who do the one thing that they do way better than you do yourself. And so getting out of their way becomes it, it's an art form. Like, how do you get out of somebody's <laughs> way while also making sure they feel empowered and they have authority 
and they have the resources they need and they know that you care, but also let me know when it's finished. <laughs> like, I don't need to know the detail. <laughs> so um, it, it does, it's, it's a bit of an art to try and figure that out. I'm still figuring it out. That's awesome. Um, okay, so how did you get the idea for Fixer? And I mean, it sounds like you didn't want to do stuff on the weekends, but um, how did you come up with the what's next other than riding your bike? Was it just riding your bike and then going home and being like, wait a minute, this niche exists or, or you know, did it come to you in the shower? <laughs> no, you know, I, um, I spent the process for starting the second business was a lot more than I just wanted a pizza. You know, I, I met with, I got together with a few of the people who had been really early on at Grubhub who we had all decided that we were going to start a business together. And so we were talking about what kind of business we wanted to start. And I had done some impact investing and impact investing or impact companies are companies that create a social good in addition to um, returning a profit. But actually like good impact companies are the ones where the profit that they create and the benefit that they create can't be divorced. And so I was looking for some kind of an idea where simply by being in business, we were going to create the, make the change the world for better. And this came out of this whole idea that businesses are huge lovers for social change, whether you want them to be or not. So it's important to be explicit about it. And if you pick a business model or an idea where the two are not in conflict, it makes it a lot easier. And so that this, I was looking for something and then I was trying to get work done on my house and I could not find somebody. And I was so frustrated. And I was like, wait, wait a minute. Maybe these are the, the two things. This is the thing that's the two things. And really, the reason it's such a bad experience for customers in their homes is because there aren't enough tradespeople. And so um, and, and so it's really just really hard to get somebody to show up for like a two hour yeah. job. No, it's you're really totally hard. right. You're totally right. Um, I'm a homeowner and I know. <laughs> and the solution to that problem is create a trade school disguised as a as a startup, like train people from scratch so that you actually increase the number of people doing the work. And then you can create an amazing experience for people in the homes. But also we're increasing the diversity and skill of tradespeople in the communities that we serve. And so the, the profit and the purpose can't be divorced. They're the same thing in this business. And so I was a lot more thoughtful this time around about, about that concept. Well, I hope you have a lot of success because it's actually a really, really good idea. And um, I follow a lot of like tech entrepreneurs online. And that's the biggest problem is that people are young people, <laughs> Gen, Gen Zers and Gen Xers and stuff are seduced by this obsession with becoming the next tech billionaire and so there's a lot of trades people that are missing so like there's plumbers that are missing there's there's because it's not as sexy i guess than you know be creating the next facebook so there is actually a really big um demand for what you're talking about yeah what what we found is when we open up a training position and you know it's a paid position from day one and so you're learning while you earn and and we find that we have massive number of people applying to these positions. And so our, our opinion is not that kids these days don't want to work. That's not our feeling. Our, what we feel is, and what we've been seeing is there are barriers. There are systematic barriers for people to enter the trades, um, especially women to enter the trades. Because most of the time you, you get into the trades because you have an uncle or dad who teaches you. And so creating a path that's open to anyone instead of just anyone who happens to have an uncle that can teach them how to do plumbing. Um, by removing those barriers, what we're seeing is that there's lots of people who are interested in the trades. It pays really well. Um, there's a lot of economic mobility. You know, if if you if you work at as a handy person for three or four years, after that you can go on becoming a plumber or a roofer or a mason or whatever, and those jobs pay really well. And you can do it without a ton of school debt. 
And so um, we're, we're seeing a lot of people really interested in what we're doing and not seeing the like stigma associated with the trades that the people assume is there. I don't think I don't think uh, most people these days really look down on the trades like sort of maybe the public media, like a lot of the media might portray it or or was that's what I was talking about. Yeah, just to clarify, ago. audience, I didn't I didn't mean young people are lazy. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't think you were, I but I have heard it. Yeah, I just Sorry, I didn't mean to put words in your mouth. I apologize. I Everyone wants to like found the next Twitter. Everyone, it's like there's this narrative that everyone wants to, you know, find the next Twitter or Canva or Facebook or whatever. And so um there is the reason that there it is so hard to find trans people is because there there is that it's missing. It's missing, like you said, yeah. for whatever reason, systemic or whatever. Yeah, I think that's true. And and it's you know, one of the great ironies about trying to become a tech billionaire is that um, you know, the companies don't exist primarily to make a profit or make money. It, I know that sounds like blasphemy from a capitalist perspective, but um, <laughs> companies exist to create value for their customers. That like That's the thing that you do as a company. And you just so happen to be able to charge for value. And incidentally, you make profit and money. But, but people or companies that lose sight of the fact that um, money is, is not the first goal. Like you, The first goal has to be creating value. Um, if you lose sight of that, then you're not very good at creating value, and therefore you're not very good at making money a lot of times, um, except in certain certain niche cases. And so it's a lot easier path to figure out how to create value for for customers than it is to find that one in a million chance of the get the get rich quick scheme. Like it it make it's a much more predictable path to just do the hard work and create value for customers. That's awesome. Well, it sounds like your new company is creating value for workers and customers and um, has a really positive message. Um, we have to wrap up, but where can people find your book, Hangry? So you can find it on Audible, you can find it on Amazon, Kindle, and you can find it at your local bookstore, or you can just check it out at MikeEvans.com. I have some order links on there as well. And what is your social media now that you're no longer at Mike Grub, Grubhub? Mike? Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's M underscore Evans. Pretty much everywhere. You're just so. yourself. You have your own identity back. Yeah, I had to use the underscore score. I was pretty early, but not early enough to get the. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> that's M funny. I know there's like two other rosy trans on social media. I'm like, gosh darn it. <laughs> um, is there anything you else want you want the listeners or um watchers? I guess if you're watching this on YouTube or um any other visual platform to know about your book or your brand or your new company. Yeah, I would say. If you're watching this and you have an inkling to start something as like as an entrepreneur, um, start. You know, if you if you look around and you see a problem, like you want to get a pizza, and uh, <laughs> nobody else seems to think getting a pizza by phone is hard, but you know that it's hard to order on the phone, and you think that maybe online ordering might be better, you know, or whatever your thing is. If you think that you look around and and, and nobody else is trying to fix the problem that you see, like do it. Start like sell a customer. Start the business. 51% of success is simply starting. The, everything else you can learn is only 49%. More than half of it is just starting. And so that's my recommendation to people uh, is, is if you have that dream, go for it. That's awesome. And any advice for entrepreneurs starting the first time other than just starting? <laughs> yeah, be willing to quit um, if something's not Oh, wow, working. that's good. Yeah, uh, it, part of what allows you to start is a willingness to abandon things that aren't working and to try something new. And so don't don't keep beating your head against an idea that's not working. Um, keep trying things until you see something that works. It's all about those iterations, right? It is, absolutely. 
it sounds every time you you say that I I think of the serenity prayer. I don't know if you know what that is. <laughs> I yeah, I do. How does that relate? I'm I'm interested. Um because it's it's like what what is the serenity prayer? It's like God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change to change the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. So it's kind of like grant yeah. me the the power to like do take action and do what I think is right and to let go of the shit that doesn't and the wisdom serve. to know which which things to work harder on and which, to know things, which to quit. things to work on it's hard not. it's really hard to know which is which <laughs> so when you said that I thought of this run in your prayer so it's kind of like that it's like do what you can step away from what you can't and know how to tell the difference yeah I think that's right yeah <laughs> all right well thank you so much for um being a guest on out of the box podcast guys I'm Rosie Tran as always on Twitter at funny Rosie out of the box Rosie on Instagram. This has been Out of the Box Podcast with Rosie Tran. Check us out. <laughs>